Hey, I'd like to uh, bring you up to speed on uh, what's happening with our friends in India. Uh, a few weeks ago, I shared a message I wanted you to pray about. And first, the good news is, is that uh, uh, Pastor Stephen and Queenie's daughter, Yoniko, had her baby. <laughs> Little baby girl. That's a whole miracle story all by itself. Uh, but uh, I think the news that is very important for you to know is that the uh, harassment uh, of the children's home is still on, so you need to pray for that. It's reached a different kind of level. I think Queenie's managing it very, very well, but uh, it's still pretty messy. There are no charges being brought against our, nurse, our nursing home, our children's home. Uh, you know, it's all a part of a bigger thing that's happening with children's homes. Uh, Queenie says now throughout India, so uh, it's not just in Bangalore. So keep praying, keep praying. She's managing it. She's producing the documents they're insisting she produced. They haven't found anything wrong. So we're a wonderful place for those of you who have been to India with Karen and me and seen the children's home. It's uh, just a remarkable, remarkable facility and a wonderful way that these girls are being cared for and loved. And uh, but uh, just keep praying, okay? Yeah? Just keep praying. Uh, so I, I guess I'm not sure how to say it. The crisis isn't really over, but it doesn't seem uh, as looming, maybe, as it was bef- uh, a few weeks ago. Does that make sense? But just keep praying uh, that the Lord gets, gets the victory here, as, as he always does. But I mean, soon. <laughs> All right? Well, uh, today's passage that I'm going to share, uh, share from this morning is in Mark chapter 1. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles there, Mark chapter 1, um, start at verse 14, and read down through verse 20. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, I mean like in your life, not necessarily with you, but in your life, uh, we'd love to give you one. So if you don't own a Bible, would you come and see me afterwards, and I'll be happy to provide you with a Bible. All right? I, I don't mean if you just forgot it. That's on you, Okay. <laughs> Mark is uh, one of the four things called a gospel in the, in the New Testament. And in case you're newer here and you say, well, I knew that. Well, not everybody does. And so uh, that's why we like to start at the beginning at the vineyard. And Mark uh, is one of the four gospels, which is the account of Jesus' life. And it was actually the first of the four gospels that was written. And there's really credible evidence that says that the other gospels use Mark as a source upon which to expand. And so you'll find in Mark... Uh, you know, just a summary kind of thing compared to the other two synoptic gospels, Matthew and Mark, and then John's kind of a whole different thing in itself. That doesn't take away from the fact that it's inspired by God, you know. You realize that, right? I mean, ultimately, it's God who inspired what was, what was to be written when. Mark chapter 1, uh, I thought coming back from vacation, let's start by talking about Jesus. Let's start by talking about what Jesus started talking about. And these are the first recorded words of Jesus. Now, if you look at the other Gospels, you say, yeah, but they recorded something else. Well, yeah, but Mark was written first. So these are the first recorded words of Jesus in the Bible. After John was put in prison, Jesus, that would be John the Baptist, by the way. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And here are his first words. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus goes on, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I'll make you something extraordinary. I will turn your life into something you never imagined. I will make you so unhappy to fish for fish 
I'll make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee. They left him. They left him in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Somebody here is in trouble today. Someone is in trouble today. You, of course, know who you are. I have a word for you, a word that came in our prayer gathering on Tuesday night. Help is on the way. Help is on the way. Pray with me a moment, Lord, uh, bowing before you. I am uh, just overcome with a sense of affection for these faces that look at me this morning. Lord, I know there's not enough of me and Karen to take care of each of them. And you have blessed us with staff and leaders to do that. But, Lord, we want to take care of all of them. And I'm especially moved by this word for the person who says, I'm in trouble. Help is on the way. Show us how this help comes through this passage, through the Holy Spirit bringing this passage to life, not just the perspective of a man, but the Word of God, the living Word of God, preaching our hearts today to hear the message that you intend for each of us. We soften our hearts, we open the door, and we invite you to come. Say to us what you want to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, men, I have a question for you. Hey, men, I wonder how many bar fights have been started with the question, what are you looking at? <laughs> you know, you're there, and you just accidentally make eye contact with somebody who's had a few too many. Their testosterone is looking for a way out. And they look at you, and they go, what are you looking at? It's almost impossible to resist an inflammatory retort, isn't it? <laughs> what are you looking at? I wonder if that's what Jesus was doing when he started his earthly ministry with the same question. What are you looking at? When you look at our text today, you'll see that the very first spoken words of Jesus recorded in the gospel include the words, The time has come, the kingdom of God is near. And then he said, repent and believe the good news. I know, as I said, that the other Gospels refer to other opening words for Jesus, but Mark was the first of the four, so these are the first recorded words of Jesus in the Bible. 
Back to the words that says, the time has come. The time has come. Jesus said, the time has come. What time has come? Jesus said, I'm coming, and I'm ushering in a new era. I'm bringing something that hasn't been before. When Jesus came, he brought something that had never been before, and is abiding today. It's his kingdom. He said, the kingdom of God is near. I am bringing the kingdom. I'm bringing the kingdom. I'm not bringing religion. I'm not bringing law. I'm bringing the kingdom. I'm bringing the kingdom of God to the earth. And then he says, repent and believe the good news. And I think it's in that last phrase that Jesus may be asking the bar fight question. What are you looking at? For many years now, some of you have been hearing me insist that the word repent in the Bible really means to turn around and look at God. You've heard me say that how many times? Guess what? Not only do I insist that this is the right way to properly interpret the word repent from the Bible, but I also believe that it's the very solution for those of you who are in trouble today. Repent. Turn to God. When Jesus opened his earthly ministry with the words repent and believe the good news... Since the word repent means turn and look at me, he's really asking the question, hello, what are you looking at? What are you looking at that isn't me? And how well is that working out for you so far? The command of Jesus to repent and believe the good news is an invitation. Listen, it's an invitation to turn away from the things you're looking at that are not bringing you life and turn directly to the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus. The word repent. I will go to my grave, perhaps today, I will go to my grave insisting that the word repent is not at all a term of judgment, nor is it a threat that you better get your act together. The term repent is an invitation to turn away from death and turn directly toward the love and the grace of Jesus Christ and the accompanying power of his kingdom. That's what it means. Let me ask you, up to now when you've heard the word repent, what have you typically thought? Go. Repent! Forgive me of my sins. Good. Repent! Stop sinning! Repent! Look out, look out, look out. God's mad. I think there's the moralist definition of repent, which is stop doing all the bad things that you're doing right now. Stop that! That's the moralist definition of repent. Stop doing that! It's sin, it's bad. I think it's a good idea to stop sinning. By the way, I just want to go on record. I'm not for sin. The moralist says repent means stop sinning. God is angry and you're just ticking him off more. You're making things worse. Stop. Repent. Yes? Some form of that. There's the ethicist decision or definition. Stop thinking only of yourself. 
And start caring about the people around you and the world in which you live. You know, ethics has to do with not making ourselves the center of the universe, not making everything be about us. And it says, stop. Stop thinking only of yourself. Start taking care of other people around you. The problem with either of those two definitions is that if we had the power within us to do either, then we would not need a Savior. Truth is, prepare to gasp, I can't stop sinning. What? We need our pastor to be sinless. Keep looking. Lots of good churches in this town. Got to be one out there somewhere. At least one who will tell you he or she is. Wouldn't be me. If we could do that, if we could could connect with those definitions of repentance, we wouldn't need a savior. We would only need to find our resolve, correct? I just need to find a way to be good. How well is that working out so far? Those definitions of repentance guarantee failure because they will insist that you make some series of unkeepable promises to God, right? Raise your hand with me, mine is up, if this is true. I have made... No, not that part. I haven't said the thing yet. Some of you are really, really cooperative today. Should go away more often. If this is true of you, I have made promises to God that I will never commit the sin that I have up to that point. Raise your hand. Hold it up. I, this, is, this is a kind of a long thing. No, a little bit longer. So you and me have gotten to the point of remorse. Nothing wrong with remorse and conviction and confession. And you said, Thank you for forgiving me. I'm done with that. Never again will I do that. Would you not get ahead of me? Do you mind if I preach? I want to preach. Start a church. Well, I guess you did. You helped me start this one 20 years ago, Chester. You deserve to preach. 20 years of this, you deserve a lot more than that, brother. Keep your hand up, up if... If, like me, you have not been able to keep that promise. Yeah, okay, put your hands down. Starting to stink up here. (laughs) If those definitions were what repentance was about, we wouldn't need Jesus. We would just need to find that level of character within us. But there's a third definition for the word repent. It's a definition that I believe best reflects the actual words of the Bible. I know, that's out there, that are commonly translated into the English word repent. Once again, prepare to gasp, the Bible was not written in English. God is not an American. Oh, now, I'm fighting words, huh? I got a better one, God isn't a Buckeye. No, he's not a wolverine either. I agree. Good Lord. No, he's not. (laughs) Well, let's 
think about the word of the Bible and see if it can inform us. Let's begin in the Old Testament. Most of, as you, many of you know, most of the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, except for a few chapters in Ezra and a few chapters in Daniel were written in Aramaic, and one verse in Jeremiah, don't ask me which one, I don't remember, but the vast majority of the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And the word which is commonly translated repent comes from the Hebrew word to return. Come back. Come back. Return. Return. Come back to me. 952 times in the Old Testament this word is used, and it means come back. Come back to me. Come back. How many of you have been reading through? You've read that. Return to me, God says. Have you read that in your Old Testament? Return to me through the prophets. Return to me. Come back to me. That's the word repent. Return to me. Come back. Not I'm really angry. Stop it or I'm going to smite thee. Come back. There's a relational tone in it. Not a tone of judgment or not a threat. But it's come back to me. Come back. I want you back. Even in the stern passages, Malachi chapter 3, and those of you who have been around the Bible go, oh, he's going to talk about tithing again. (laughs) There's a whole lot more to Malachi than that, you guys. In Malachi... Uh, chapter 7 says, Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from me, from my decrees, and have not kept them. Return to me. Return to me. See, he says, You have turned away from them. You're turned the wrong way. Return, what does that mean? It means, re, it means turn again. You're turned this way. Return. Make another turn. You're turned the wrong way. And here's why repentance can't mean the moralist or the ethicist definition. is because right here, he says, return to me and I will return to you. Now we can't say repent and I will repent and God says and I will repent for you. I mean, I wouldn't dare to say that. God, you need to repent. God, return to me, he says, and I'll return to you. It's relational. Now in the New Testament, which was written in Greek, the fun word for repentance is metanoia. Want to say that? Which means to change the direction of one's mind. Because Greek is more mental. Hebrew is more picturesque. So the Hebrew words, the 8,000 words of ancient Hebrew, are much, much of it is about a, paints a picture. Return to me. Turn your body to me. Come back to me. Greek is a, is a cognitive language by comparison. And he says, so, so it says change the direction. Yeah, your mind is heading in a direction. God's back here. Repent. Turn the direction of your mind. Change the direction of your mind. So Jesus' first words being for us to repent underscore the truth that we are each born from a sinful generation into a sinful world and that by our very nature we are pointed, born, pointed in the wrong direction. We've been over that ground before, I know. But this is the very condition of the thing called original sin. And the whole salvation experience with Jesus is to rescue us from our natural inclination to continue in this which begins by turning away from the wrong directions of our thinking, of our doing, of our believing, and instead turn directly toward God himself, who is waiting to rescue us through his son Jesus Christ from this predicament. That's what repentance means. 
It means to recognize that that's really all we can do is just repent, is just turn. So living the Christian life of righteousness begins by realizing, listen, that we are truly powerless to fix ourselves. Did you hear that? Not sort of powerless, (laughs) completely powerless. Resigning to the truth that we are powerless to fix ourselves and repointing our faces to Jesus. Repoint, repent means repoint. Doesn't have quite the same force. Repoint! It's about realizing that we are powerless to fix ourselves and repointing our faces to Jesus so that by his redemptive work on the cross and the accompanying power of the Holy Spirit, we can tap into his strength to live the life to which we're called. Repent means to repoint and invite Jesus and the power of his Holy Spirit to come and live fully in us. Do you hear what Paul said? Anybody about this? Paul said in Galatians 2, 19 through 21, Paul says this. Paul, by the way, if you're new, Paul was kind of a big deal. Kind of a big deal in the New Testament. He's a guy who not only, I mean, he just hated Christians. He not only hated them, but he, he set out to kill them until God met him and turned his life around, and then he became like a big super Christian deal. You know? So he got to write a bunch of the New Testament. Galatians chapter 2, he says, For through the law, now it's the Old Testament law, and Paul had been a, a rabbi, a Pharisee. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. What's he saying? I have to die to my own personal ability to try to keep the law so I can live for God. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. Jesus died on the cross canceled the law, fulfilled the law, but canceled the Colossians says it's written code over us. And he says, I no longer live, catch this, but Christ lives in me. He said, I'm not alive anymore. I'm not even doing this. He says, whatever good you see in me, ta-da, praise Jesus, because it's not me. It's not no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And he says, the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who catches, who loved me and gave himself for me. The core of repentance is not the judgment of God, it's the love of God. Turn to me. And then he says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. We agree that if we could do this on ourselves, we, or by ourselves, we wouldn't need Christ. So Jesus' first recorded words were, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. You got it? Yeah? Turn to God. I think the order of this is also important. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus is calling us to repent first and believe second. This is troublesome for lots of folks. Repent first and believe second. Turn to God first. Turn back to God first and then you'll be able to believe. You have to repoint yourself toward Christ before you will even begin to have the capacity to believe. I want you to think about this. It's only by encountering somehow the person of Christ in the power of His Holy Spirit when you repent and turn to Him that you're going to receive what Ephesians calls the gift of faith so that you can believe. I think in contemporary American evangelicalism, we have really seemed to make the Christian experience 
about persuading ourselves to believe the right things, work hard, believe the right things, and then hold on tight till the judgment day. Come on, is that right? Is that fair? I think it is. I really think the point of Jesus' first words were partly to demonstrate that until, until we repent and turn to him, we won't even have the capacity to believe. We won't be able to do it. It won't be real. It'll be an opinion. It'll almost be like a political opinion. This is what I hold to be true. But it has no life. We have to repent and look at Jesus before we can believe. I mean, think about it. I want you to think about this. On the surface of the gospel, the whole gospel message, it's an incredulous story, is it not? It goes like this. An invisible God makes himself known by sneaking into the world through a teenage pregnancy, says a bunch of amazing things, does a bunch of amazing stuff, and then he surrenders himself into the hands of his enemies and allows them to brutally crucify him to somehow pay for our sins, but then on the third day rises from the dead and moves around among people until he decides to float up into the sky where he is supposed, where we're supposed to believe that he is invisibly sitting at the right hand of, the God, of God the Father getting ready for us to need, need him to get us into heaven. That's pretty much the gospel message. I mean, isn't that it? Really? We're going with that? Without seeing Jesus? We're just going to hold on to that? That's incredulous. We expect ourselves to hold on to that? Let alone, this is what we're bearing to other people? Here's what you need to believe. You need to believe this or you're going to hell. Instead of saying, I need to introduce you to somebody I met who's changed my life. His name is Jesus. Go. You're on, Jesus. Get him. Jesus said, repent. Turn to me. Return. Return. Look at me. He says, look at me, not me, him. Look at me, and then you'll believe the good news. I think the order is so essential. Repent first, then by looking to the reality of the person of Jesus Christ. He'll give you the capacity to believe. A little more Greek, yes? Say yes, or I'll start again. At the very root of the Greek word for repentance, I told you the Greek word is metanoia. At the root is meta, which literally means, catch this, you're going to love this, to change after being with. To change after being with. You know how there's some people, Marie, in your life, you know, when you're with them, you just come out a different person? I mean, we all have those people, some for better and some for worse, right? And when we're with them, we just automatically come out differently, yes? That's what that meta means, to be changed by being with. So the direction of our mind, the metanoia thing, is to change after being with Jesus. So the change comes by being with Jesus. We get this thing, it's a moralist thing, goes, man, i got to get my stuff together. i got to get my act together so that I can hang out with Jesus, right? I've got to get, when I get this list of stuff taken care of, then I'm going to be in great shape to have fellowship with Jesus. Newsflash. The list is endless. I'm not smoking weed anymore. That's probably good. <laughs> but... I found that even all those things that are so heinous, now that they're gone, there's a list of uglier things that were motivating them underneath. I don't think I'm ever going to be done. 
I'm going to have to live to be a thousand to become anything at this rate. So what I'm saying is the difference is turn to Jesus and let him do the work within us. This is the very core of the word repent. So, you know, I guess I'm just saying that the, the change I think that so many of you are longing for is not in your pursuit of the elusive and inconsistent inner resolve, but it's just by turning toward and being with Jesus. Then you'll be able to believe. And John 20, 31 says, and by believing, you will have life in his name. And another thing, when you turn to Jesus in this way, you will find it impossible not to believe. <laughs> He's that amazing. I had a wonderful talk with a very dear friend of mine this week. And uh, during the talk, he told me about things about how he came to Christ that uh, I thought I knew his whole testimony, but he, he shared with me a couple of things that I don't remember hearing before, and I know I would have remembered these. And he said, yeah, maybe I didn't tell you that. But uh, his story goes like this. That, uh, and by the way, I have permission to say this without saying his name. But the, the part that I knew about him was that he came to Christ after living a, a very hard life of drinking and drugs. And uh, he told me that a few months prior to his new birth, he was at a party, and he said he was all coked up. And I don't think he was talking about Coca-Cola. He said he was all coked up, and, and he said he was out on a back porch, and he said he heard a voice say to him, I have much better plans for you. It freaked him out. But he said he went back into the house where the party was going on, and he just saw all of his friends just strewn every which way around this place in various states of, you know. And he said he struggled with that message for about four months, and it just continued to plague his thoughts, that, that thing that he heard, I have so much better plans for you. And he said on a day, this part I knew, on a day in June, he got down on his bathroom floor one night, and he said, okay, God, if you're real, I need you to show me. I need you to show me something. So he turned to him, didn't he? He turned to him. And he said nothing happened. He, really, he said he really expected to kind of look up from the bathroom floor and see him like Jesus standing there. He said nothing happened. But he said in the middle of the night that night, he woke up. And he looked up, and there was a light shining over him. And it was encircled in this blackness and a light shining over him. And the words, I have so much better plans for you. And it was by turning to Jesus that he was able to respond with his whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. I tell you that story just to make the point that repentance is not about promising better behavior. 
It's about turning away from everything else and crying out to God, where are you? I need to see you, Lord. Repentance is not about plodding along with a creedal belief structure called Christianity and seeing what happens when we die. Repentance is about turning away from everything else and crying out to Jesus. That's when the things begin to happen. If you read on in that passage that I read for you a little while ago, you'll see that the very next thing that Jesus did was that he spoke these unmistakably clear words when he invited his first disciples to follow him. And I will make you something extraordinary. Turned uh, his ragtag group of rejects into the 12 most influential men of the world, really. So I think it all begins right here. And I think in so many ways it essentially just stays right here. Repent and believe the good news. This, I think, is the core of the gospel. It begins here by turning to God. And, it, and we sustain our faith by returning to God. This is both the beginning of being a Christian and really the daily invitation of Christ is to repent and turn to him. It's not something that we do only once, but we do again. I do again and again and again purposefully, especially when I catch myself looking Toward other things. So maybe you're in a bad place right now. Maybe you're having trouble believing, and maybe you're feeling guilty for not believing as you think you should. That's a vicious cycle, isn't it? Hello? Repent. Repent. Repoint. Return. Reset. I don't play many video games. I like them, but I don't play them very much because this is probably going to come as a great surprise to you. I have kind of an addictive personality. (laughs) So I know that it would be a slippery slope. But when I do play a little Wii golf or tennis or something like that or try to keep up with my grandkids as they mercilessly slaughter me at anything, there's one thing about video games that I just love. It's the reset button. (laughs) Everything just starts all over again. (laughs) The Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Some of you need to... Press the reset button today. Some of you are in a bad place. You're in trouble. Some of you just need the refreshing of coming back. Some of you just need to encounter the Holy Spirit in this kind of a way. Maybe some of you are here and it's the first time and you're hearing the gospel put in such a way like I never heard it that way before. I thought it was about signing up for a bunch of stuff. A bunch of stuff I didn't really want to do. It's about coming to Jesus. But I know there are many of you in this room right now who, for reasons of your own, are ready to repent and enjoy. I love Acts 3.19. The Bible says, Repent then and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. 
you're a person here today who would like to participate in a prayer of repentance and just invite the Holy Spirit to come and meet you in that moment, I want you to get up where you are, from where you are right now, and come and stand right here. You can do whatever you want when you get here, actually. If you feel like kneeling, go ahead, or stand, or... If you're stirred by this, uh, I want that. I want to just turn to him. Come on. Clump in. Hey, you guys, on the ends, come on. Clump, be a, be a, a cluster, not a line. Make a couple of you behind here. Come on. Come on, just clump up. Come behind. Come behind. Make a second row. Don't, don't be a long line. Be a cluster of grapes at the vineyard, okay? Come on. We're going to make wine out of you here in a second. Come on. Come on. You know, for every one of you standing here, there's two more out there wishing they had the courage that you have just shown. So you're at, you're at a place where you just go, I want to start again. I want, to, I want to press this button. I want a time of refreshing to come. I want to turn to Jesus. I don't want to make it about my unkeepable promises, my broken promises. I want to make it about a relationship with Jesus, right? Holy Spirit, come. In the name of Jesus, just come, Holy Spirit, now and just touch them in your power and your strength. Let me help that woman. Just come now in your power and your strength. And she should be all right. Somebody, just come. Hey, Dick, why don't you just come up there and kneel down next to your wife and just pray for her while she's down there, would you? Power of the Holy Spirit, just come. And just meet every one of them here in your strength, in your power. Thank you for saving us, God. Thank you for reaching through our staff. Thank you for being strong enough to forgive us for our repetitive sins. In the name of Jesus, power of the Holy Spirit, just come and touch you and bless you now as you return to him. Now I want you guys, as you're standing here, just to silently pray the prayer that's in your heart. You know the issues of your repentance. They're secret, but they're known to God. Repentance often, in my case, and I think biblically, invites us to confession and confessing the things that we've been looking at that aren't God. Could be something as obvious as sinful behavior, but could be depending even on other people to give us something that they can't give us. Jesus is going to fill that spot in your life. 